0: Good to see you here at the EU public meeting. Glad you could make it today. Uh, we have an exciting three weeks then of trying to reach out to the campus with the good news of Jesus. Over these next three weeks, I do hope that you'll be praying for the EU and for yourself that you will have spirit inspired, spirit empowered boldness. There was a great moment last year when we were trying to reach out with the good news to the campus where we held a special event in the Great Hall. It was a, sort of a, a multi-faith round table forum where we had speakers of different faiths get up and say how they thought their faith, their spirituality, and have the answers to life. And I think was there last year in the Great Hall? It was a great occasion. And one of the highlight moments for me, or, or maybe the standout moments for me, something I just really clearly remember, was then um, the Buddhist chaplain here at the University, who I get on well with, I share offices with, I know it's, you know, it's going really well. He got up and he said... Let me tell you how, how Buddhism thinks the answers to life are to found. And the great thing about getting a Buddhist chaplain, like, he's a Buddhist monk. He really, really knows Buddhism. We weren't going to get Buddhism life. You know, this is all very popular in society. We're getting the real deal. He said, in the Buddhist philosophy, the Buddhist philosophy of spirituality, the answers to life are found in yourself. The answers to life are found in yourself. Buddhism is, is entirely self-sufficient philosophy. Self-sufficient, self-focused spirituality. And I found a really interesting and uh, illuminating because I thought, can you get any further from Christian spirituality than that? See, because instead of being a self-sufficient spirituality, Christianity is utterly and deeply sun focus S-O-E, not S-U-S, right? It's simply and utterly sun-focused. So instead of a spirituality that's self-sufficient and self-focus, Christian spirit- spirituality is entirely dependent on the Son, Jesus. Entirely focused on the Son, Jesus. But the, if we're not just focused on Him as, as something sort of distant to ourselves, but Christian spirituality is all about being with Jesus. It's directed towards Jesus. It's working on Jesus. It's through Jesus, Christian spirituality. It's utterly and deeply Son-dependent. Son-focused. So we want to talk today about true spirituality. That is, the spirit that comes from the one true living God. What does this look like? So we've been looking at it the last couple of weeks, weeks of Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 8, well, that's sort of the last half of Romans chapter 8 today. It'd be great if you've got a Bible, if you could open that up, because that'll really help you. Or uh, we'll maybe look on with the person next to you, go to BibleGateway.com, call it up on your phone. That would be really super helpful if you could do that. Three things I think we can draw from this section of Romans chapter 8, We're starting at verse 14, going to the end of the chapter, Three things, three clues about true spirituality. all of them are about Jesus all the place the son. The first one is all about sharing, sharing the son's relationship. Sharing the son's relationship. You got the Bible there? Let's open it up and have a look at Romans chapter 8 verses 14 to 16. Let me read you. Paul says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, but if you're living here again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our Spirit that we are God's children. True spirituality is to share Jesus, the son's relationship with his heavenly father. It's about being adopted as a son, as a brother or sister to Jesus. Now, you might say, well, hang on, he's talking about sons, that seems all very sexist, and before your gender alarm bell goes off on both of your dashboard. Why does he talk about sons? Why does he particularly say sons? Well, because for two reasons, pretty straightforward, really. First of all, because The spirit that the followers of Jesus receive is the spirit of the Son, Jesus. So he's trying to deliberately point that out. The same spirit that's active in Jesus is the same spirit that's active in you. You have the spirit of the Son in you, if you're a follower of Jesus. Second reason is because he's going to go on in a moment in verse 17 and following, talking about inheritance, becoming an heir, an inheritor. And in the first century culture, those who inherited were sons. So he's trying to make that point in the same way that that Jesus is the one who inherits from God because you have now been adopted as a son, you have the same spirit of the son, you have the same inheritance as the son. That you say so you are now a co heir. You are an inheritor together with the son. That's why he's really focusing on sons. But notice when he gets to verse 16 that he doesn't use the word son here, he uses the more general word for children. He says, verse 16, so we are all children of God. And so he's not actually saying, he's not particularly singling out men or males at this point, he's recognising that as men and women who together are, in inverted commas, sons, if you like. Because they've got the spirit of the sons and because they inherit with the sons. Okay, the second thing to notice is whereas Jesus is a son by his very nature, he is the son of God, we have sonship by adoption. By adoption. So what that means is that what is his by nature is ours by adoption. Because we are now being adopted into his family. We receive it by adoption. So we share now in his relationship. We didn't have that relationship, but now because they've become part of that family, we share in the son's relationship. And as he says here, as a result, we can address God rightly and know God as our father, Abba. Father. Abba is not a the greek in the 70s, so it wasn't through the greek in the 70s, but Abba is an Aramaic word. An Aramaic word. Why is that significant? Well, it's significant because the New is written in Greek. It's a bit weird is you're reading a you know, are reading a text in English and suddenly say there was an Inuit word in your text. You know, that's a bit odd. Why is there an Inuit word in my English text? You're reading Greek New Testament and coming off an Aramaic word. Why is there an Aramaic word, Abba, that then is followed directly by the translation of it, the Greek translation, father. Just means father, but in Aramaic. How come? It's a very odd thing. It's because Aramaic was the language that Jesus spoke as a child. It was his sort of native tongue. And we know from the Gospel that the way that Jesus addressed God in prayer was with his Aramaic word, Abba. You can see in Mark chapter 14 Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he's arrested, just before he's about to About to die, he knows he's about to die for the sin, bearing the sins of the whole world, and he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you, take this cup from me, but not what you will, what I will. Not what I will, but what you will. It's it's the very distinctive way that Jesus addressed his Heavenly Father. And what Paul's saying here is, you've been adopted into the family such that now you can address God with that same distinctive, intimate word. You have the same relationship that Jesus had, that Jesus had with the ones who live in God. He is your heavenly Abba, your heavenly Father. And what Paul says is, when we cry out as Christians, as followers of Jesus—that's who you are. When we cry out at a Father in prayer, He says, at that very moment, you know what's going on. He says, He says that it is His Spirit bearing witness together with our Spirit that we are indeed children of God. We go through that again, He's saying, when you in prayer cry out. Have a Father. Not just not because of the magic words, but when you, because you know that God is your Father and so you address me as Father, so that at that very moment it's actually the Spirit of the Son working in you and testifying together with your Spirit that you indeed are a child of God. You do it because you have the Spirit of the Son in you. That's how come you know that God is your Father. Uh, some friends of mine recently Adopted a child, This year, They adopted a child from a Southeast Asian country, a six year old boy. Um, they had three children of their own, but they were just aware that there are who knows how many, but a huge number of children in the world without family it, who don't have a family or their family is completely unable to care for them. And they're becoming aware of this, they decide. Let's do the small little thing that we can do for that big problem and they decide to adopt a 6-year-old boy. At substantial cost, actually. It costs them around $30,000 to adopt a child. But that's a small price, I guess, really, isn't it? To rescue somebody. To rescue somebody. And that's what they've done. And a really delightful moment um, a few months ago when uh, they came to visit. And so we got to meet this boy for the first time. And um, I was getting to know him out in the backyard. And I said, Come on, let's go pick some Mandarin. Because we have Mandarin trees that so were going crazy at the time. So we got some bags, went up, and he said, Mandarin, it's Mandarin. Because so he doesn't know English, right? So he's just learning the English. Mandarin. I said, Mandarin. mandarin. So we're picking Mandarin, filling a bag, he fills the bag. He grabs the bag, he turns around, he runs down to our friend and says, Mom, Mom, look! Mandarin! And I must admit, I did a bit of a double taste because I thought, Mom, what are you think, Mom? No. Mom! Mom, that, he, that is his mom! Mom! Dad! He's a He's not a second-rate member of the family. He is a son in that family. A full son. An inheritor with the others. That is the wonder of adoption. And you know what? You're here. You are him, aren't you? You cry out, Abba. Father. Because you, by grace, have been adopted into Jesus' family. You are now a brother or a sister with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the same Heavenly Father, with the same Spirit of Him, in you, that you cry out out Father. That is the wonder of our adoption. I don't know if sometimes you you worry about your spiritual life. Maybe sometimes you think, Oh, you know, I'm just I'm such a hopeless Christian or I don't try enough, or just you know, God just so distant and do your feelings affect in any way your status as a doctor? No. No yes. When when those thoughts enter your mind, or those dark clouds sort of enter your spiritual vision. You are a child of the living God by adoption and grace. You are a co heir with Jesus. You have the spirit of the Son in you because you are a Son, an inheritor, a child of the living true God. That is the wonder of the Christian gospel, isn't it? And at the very heart of true spirituality is this. You can share the sun's relationship. That's what we have to reclaim to the end over the next couple of weeks. Okay, but so there's more. We've had more than we have. Let's keep moving on. Secondly, Patrick shown us we can share, we do share, the sun's trajectory. That's just a little bit we have a vector.
1: <laughs>
0: momentum and direction. Okay, let's go. We share the sun's trajectory, which is through suffering to glory. Through suffering to glory. Have a look at verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is our trajectory, and notice all with him. We share sufferings with him, that we might share glory with him. It's all with Jesus. It's all focused and connected to Jesus. But this is our trajectory, true suffering to glory. And actually Paul then goes, and, and says, but you know, it's not just about you, it's not. It's actually part of a much bigger plan of God through suffering to glory, this trajectory. Part of a much bigger plan of God. Have a look from verse 19, he says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What's he saying here? He's showing that this is part of the massive plan of God to right everything that's wrong in all creation. i said to you before, the book of Romans is all about God's own righteousness. That God's own personal righteousness is on display for all people through this gospel, this good news of what he's done in Jesus. What is God's righteousness, God's righteousness i said tell you, is his faithfulness to keep his good intentions for all of his creation. That he will not let creation suffer endlessly, but that he will fulfill all his good intentions. And you can draw a picture, if you like, of that from over the last couple of chapters. We know from chapter 5 that in Adam, when Adam decided to reject God, go back to the Garden of Eden, that all of creation was condemned at that point because of Adam's sin. Do you remember the story from Genesis when Adam sinned? The ground is cursed, is part of the cursed. All of creation, Paul says human, is in a bondage to decay as a result of human death. What is God going to do about it? Is it God's regenerative that he created? No. How is God going to do it? Well, he didn't get out in the answer. The answer, ultimately, is in Jesus Christ. So he goes through suffering. And then to glory. Fox will be reading these verses. We, not have five believers, Christians. We <laughs> That's not bad. Anyway, We share. We in his trajectory, through his life, ready glory. Well, that glory is the best for all humanity. Yeah, There's a good news story for it, all of humanity. You don't have to be part of the body to decay death. No, with Jesus, who placed him through his life glory. And step in and think about that. What about all of creation? And that's exactly what Paul says. He says, All of creation is inviting. We see longing for the moment when God's children are revealed as revealing glory because then the law of creation will enter into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. All of creation will be free and liberated from his promise to behave in the present way. Yes. That is the big plan of God. That is the big display of His righteousness that he will fulfill all of his good intentions in Christ. New Christ's preaching, through suffering and glory. That's the big picture plan. Okay, Okay. that's a big picture plan. What about, though, what about the present? What about the fact that, well, we're not there still in the suffering. We haven't been up to the glory. Jesus has been glorified, by us, but not us yet. So, what did he say about that? Well, he has something to say about that, verses 22 to 23. Have a look there. He says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. How does he describe life in the present, life in the suffering zone? Grown as in childbirth. You get the whole tragedy, groaning as in childbirth. Now you know what that's like. <laughs> because you were there. You were there, weren't you? To a childbirth? Yes. <laughs> Praise God you don't remember it. Yes. Um... I remember the birth of our first child and um, my wife was in labour and I had her comfortably ensconced in the labour ward. which is a terrible option, I'm comfortable in the labour ward. Anyway, comfortable in the labour ward um, while waiting for the birth of our first child. And, um, you know, she had a contract with life or something. She said, oh, i get me another... A uh, cup full of ice sticks because they tell us give you ice sticks to suck on and chew on and stuff. And she run out and I said, you know what? So out I go through those nice clean hospital doors. Out one, how I was walking down the corridor another the door open, and I just hear a sound coming out of this other door. It was a weird sound. It was it was an unearthly sound. It was like whoa, whoa. It, was, it was very strange sound. Yeah. And I just simply remember my thoughts at the time. I just simply remember that. I remember walking past, walking down and going, I don't know what's wrong with you, but my wife ain't doing that. <laughs> no, I get the picture. Let me tell you, five, six hours later, I was hearing that sound a lot. <laughs> a lot. Child, the pain of child, what it is, Full on. Full on. But you know what, as a result? <coughs> New life. New life through that pain of sight. And what Paul said you is the whole present created order is in, in the pains of the childbirth, longing for the moment when it might be free from his body to the gate. And says, and we ourselves, who even have the first fruits of the Spirit, first fruits being the first of the Queen of the Cross, the, the first harvest, you a have straight up fullness to come in, to cleanse grind in while we wait for our redemption, the redemption of our bodies, while we wait for the fullness of our adoption. Now, I just want to say to you, is that the way you see life? Are you just groaning in looking forward to the future? The greater promises of God to come. See, I suspect that as very, very comfortable uh, followers of Jesus, as many of us are, in a comfortable Western country, 21st century, we just don't actually look for long-forward to, to very much at all. Because we're not so good now. The terrible irony of that, of course, is all of the good things we currently have all come from the living God. He's graciously given us all these present material blessings such that we sort of get satiated. We're, we're satisfied. We long for nothing. Because our desires are too weak. We sit there with our, you know, double shot latte, skim milk, please. Play on my iPad phone pod thing. <laughs> and, and life's good, right? Life's good. But then every now and then, reality breaks into our little bubble. person in my network who has had their life devastated for 20 years from mental illness. And I mean their life is a complete devastation because of mental illness. When you see someone you care about, suffer because of the genuine wickedness, the evil, the wrongdoing of others. Or maybe you shouldn't be yourself, especially part. I can remember a, a moment when I was a pastor of the church. I got a phone call, I go to the house, I'm sitting in the lounge room, and they bring out their three year old son, died that morning From cancer, and they're asking me why, and they're expecting me to pray. Do you remember? Don't you long? Don't you long for this creation to be free from this bondage to decay? Don't you groan every day? war? bring it. Bring it soon! Or have you become tragically satiated, full, satisfied with the merely temporal and superficial? We've grown, we long, and you know what? There is, there is good news, isn't there? That's why Paul goes straight on to talk about hope. He says, for in hope we were saying. But that hope that's seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for patience. patiently. <laughs> Become people of spirit empowered hope, longing and living for the future reality that God has promised. That God will bring it in. Because we've good news. That's not open. That's it's not it's the certainty that there is good in the midst of suffering and glory coming. And that's not the place of Jesus, that's not the type of us, that's the of a whole creative order. And that is through spiritual relevance, sharing the sun's trajectory. And finally, as we rush on to the end, it's about sharing the sun's likeness here life. True, So is there anything more than hope? If it's true suffering with Jesus, with glory, is there anything more than hope? Just in the present? Yes, there is. there's something more than just hope, what is it? Have a look here in verse 26 to 30. In the same way he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And those who him, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. The answer is, is there anything more than hope? There is answer is yes, in the present there is, but there is trinitarian morphine. There is trinitarian morphism in the present. That's what those that's what those verses say. Not quite like that. But that's what they say. <laughs> Because what's going on in these verses? He says no He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That same word he uses there, literally the word for help, is to lay hold of something together with someone. They're it help, which is okay, but it's actually to lay hold of something with someone. The other the only other place it's used in the whole New Testament is when Jesus was talking with Martha and Mary. Do you know that story? When you're married to two sisters, Mary's sitting there and Jesus' speaking listening to what Jesus had to say. Martha, Jesus, got a very important guest here in the house, running around, doing all stuff, going crazy. i then she just burst down to Jesus. <coughs> tell my sister to get off of behind and help me, literally, to lay hold of this task with me. So what Paul's saying here is saying in our weakness, the Spirit lays hold of our weakness together with us and helps us in our moment of weakness. And what does the Spirit do when we're in the suffering? The Spirit prays for us. The Spirit gets into streams with the Father, with God, with wordless grace, wordless sighs. The Spirit prays for you. Wow, I wonder what the Spirit saying you. He's not in his words, but what's he saying? That'd be good to know, wouldn't it? Paul tells you. It's the very next paragraph. Often we just take this next paragraph, verses you know, 28 to 30. And we sort of pull it out and just apply it to all sorts of situations, We you wouldn't find at one level. However, it's connected to what you're saying. What is the Spirit trying to you? The Spirit is saying that you would be more into the likeness of Jesus, transformed into the likeness of Jesus because the Spirit intercedes with God in accordance with the will of God. And what is the will of God? That's what these 28-30 tells you. The will of God is that from before the, the very beginning of time, right back in, in God predestined that you would be conformed more into the likeness of his Son. And see what? morphing. Spirit, praying to the Father that you would be more into the likeness of the Son. There it is. Trinitarian morphing, going on. That's what's happening in the present. Through the prayers of the Spirit in your very moment of witness. You know, when I was there in that lounge room, they brought that that dear boy out asking me to pray. Before I prayed with them, I was praying frantically, silently, and just saying, Lord, I, I didn't know what to pray. I didn't want to pray even in terms of knowing how to pray, what to pray, like I was just, This is the verse that comforts you in those moments of real suffering and distress. When you don't know what to pray, when you're just overwhelming the Spirit into three for the Father, according to the will of the Father, on your behalf. This is what's going on in the prison. So, Conclusion. What did he say? That was true spiritual, a journey of some relationship, to an adopted child of God, to an adopted child of God, to an adopted child of God, to an adopted child of to likeness, that you'll be conformed in true journey walking into the life of God. What do you conclude about this? What's the conclusion?
1: <laughs>
0: this is the conclusion. This is Paul's conclusion. In the final verse, 31 to 39. He asks four questions. What can we say about this? He said, four questions. He says, "Who's going to be against us? If all this is true, who's going to be against us?" The answer is pretty much everybody. Your poor Jesus. The whole world is against you, really. They so say, "If God is for us like this, who really can be against us?" Now, all sorts of people in the present suffering may be against you, but ultimately you know because God is faithful, where He's going to take Him. So ultimately, you are unopposed. Ultimately. Not presently. Ultimately. Then he says, who bring any charge against God's elect? Who's going to say to you, you know what, you're not worthy. You're not good enough. He says, it's God who justifies. God has said to you, you're okay. You are okay by me because you have faith in Jesus. You are completely untarled. So all sorts of people may say, all sorts of things about out And so he who can get, who, who can get you? He says, Christ Jesus, who died for you, who rose again, is at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding for you. If he, the living Lord, is interceding for you, you are sorrowful, uncondemned. And Christ says, we'll all <laughs> <in the> step <system. laughs> From his love of God in Christ Jesus. And he goes to the listeners, well, well, anything in the present, he says, I'm convinced, I'm convinced, he would, I'm convinced, I'm fully persuaded, there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not the feelings, not any opposition, not the present, not the future, nothing. You are utterly in death. Because you are a child of God, by way, truth, in the power of spirit, Christ God
1: will glorious, glorious.